Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50% to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. to the Explaining History podcast. And um, today I want to talk about uh, giving a rough overview of uh, Eastern Europe following the death of Stalin and really look at the question of living standards because this is the thing which, upon which Eastern Europe, the Soviet bloc in Eastern Europe, um, founders eventually. Um, living standards had been... Um, an issue under Stalin. Um, there's a, an assumption that um, some students have that the five-year plans are um, about exclusively about heavy industry, and the second five-year plan actually isn't the second five-year plan. There's a, a heavy consumer element to it, and um, I know I, I talk about her work a lot. But if you read Everyday Stalinism by Sheila Fitzpatrick, she she in the chapter called Palaces on a Monday, she talks at length uh, about the um, uh, new department stores that appeared in Moscow uh, and the attempts under a Soviet system to create a consumer choice, which did never really quite work. So this was uh, a consideration, uh, and it shows you that obviously a repressive terror regime like Stalinism also had considerations about public opinion um, and the idea that raising living standards was a, a kind of an, an imperative of the regime. Um, there's a, a famous speech where Stalin says essentially life has become more, more joyous, comrades, and talks about uh, the sharing of the fruits of prosperity that Stalinism was supposedly creating. Anyway, so during the Cold War, the ability of both sides to provide growing living standards for their citizens was a, a key indicator of the success of um, the rival political systems. Uh, in America and Britain, obviously, um, and Western Europe, um, you have um, varying degrees of liberal democracy and varying degrees of free market capitalism um, in Europe. Uh, particularly in uh, West Germany. Um, this is heavily tempered by the, the social market 
uh, model a, a large welfare state, uh, meaning that um, labour markets are not um, uh, are not subject to the the vagaries of, um, of free market capitalism. They are quite well insulated with um, uh, welfare and and other um, measures to intervene to um, guarantee minimum. Uh, levels of of living standards, and the same is true in Britain, um, with the uh, development of the welfare state after nineteen forty five, and in America, really, the the New Deal still perpetuates itself, uh, all the way up, perhaps even all the way up to Ronald Reagan. Um, some historians argue uh, that Nixon himself was like the the last New Dealer president. Um, not so sure about that one, but that's a different conversation. So you also have, in the 50s and 60s, a, a global economic boom, and historically, almost historically unprecedented global economic boom, um, and capitalism seems to be able to generate um, uh, a, a standard of living um, unseen before. Uh, and this um, becomes um, much more difficult during the 1970s, um, but in the West, in the 1970s, um, living standards in 1979 were still higher than those in 1969. Britain goes through a decade of turmoil, but British people are still essentially wealthier um, at the end of it than, than they, they were at the beginning. But in the Soviet-occupied Eastern Bloc, um, providing for East Germans, Czechs, Poles, Romanians and others was much more difficult and this was in large part uh, because of the legacy of Stalin himself. Um, when Stalin dies in '53, um, the the shockwaves that pass through Eastern Europe are significant. Um, there are in 1953 uh, demonstrations that lead to uh, an uprising in uh, East Germany. And by 1956, when Khrushchev denounces um, Stalin in a secret speech, there are uh, riots that are bloodily suppressed in Poland. And then, of course, there is the Budapest uprising, um, which is uh, violently suppressed by the Soviet Union. And this is uh, as a result of um, Khrushchev's secret speech. Now, if you want to know more about the secret speech, there is a podcast dedicated that to that. I must have done it a couple of years ago, but look back to the archive. I promise you it'll be there. So change isn't immediate in large parts of Eastern Europe. Um, in East Germany, um, the Stalinist um, Walter Ulbricht um, clung on to power into the 1970s. In some of the other satellite states, there is obviously huge upheaval. Um, the typical, um, the most studied example is uh, Hungary. Um, Soviet intervention in 1956 involved um, the um, removal of the popular Stalinist um, Matthias Rakosi and his, his um, replacement, Ino Gero, um, was unable to keep down the uh, the revolt in October that year. Um, and he was replaced by Janosch Kedar. And despite the fact that there's enormous uh, bloodshed and loss of life 
uh, on the streets of Budapest. Kedar himself, when he hangs on, uh, following the end of the uprising, was um, able to undo most of the measures instituted by the Stalinist uh, Rakosi. Um, there were um, basic um, freedoms uh, granted to uh, Hungarian citizens and a significantly better standard of living in Hungary um, develops. Hungary had traditionally always been uh, a per capita wealthier country than the Soviet Union. But it must be uh, remembered that um, Soviet military power stays um, in uh, Hungary for a considerable amount of time thereafter um, and it's a permanent reminder that dissent can be crushed at any time. Um, 1968 in Prague also shows that this was um, a real possibility, uh, though with significantly less bloodshed. Um, so the world that Stalin had created rested on three institutions, Common Form, Comic-Con and the Warsaw Pact. Common uh, Form was founded in 1947 and it was replaced the Comintern, which the Soviets had agreed to dismantle during World War II, as partly as a kind of a gesture to the Allies, as you say, look, uh, Comintern, which was a, a, a the, the Communist International and designed to try to subvert Western democracies as much as possible, was now redundant because we're all friends and we're all fighting the Nazis. Um, and it was always going to be superseded by common form in Stalin's eyes. Anyway, the role of common form was to coordinate the communist parties of Eastern Europe under Soviet direction. Yet, despite Western propaganda to the contrary, it was clear that from the outset, even when Stalin was in power, that there were limits to Soviet control. Initially, the common form was based in Belgrade, um, and Common Form moved to Bucharest um, following the expulsion of um, Joseph Tito, uh, the Yugoslav leader, um, from Common Form by the USSR. So, the decision to base it in Belgrade in Yugoslavia is an interesting one, um, and the tensions between Stalin and Tito. Um, before Stalin died in 1953, were sufficient to have Stalin plotting to have Tito assassinated by 1953. And it's only the uh, Stalin's death uh, that leads um, Beria to uh, call off the plot. The Warsaw Pact, um, common form, actually stimulates the development of the Warsaw Pact. The pact was established in 1955, never included uh, Yugoslavia, um, and this was um, if in effect to be the military alliance that cemented the Eastern Bloc to the USSR. Economically developed countries like Czechoslovakia and East Germany, along with agrarian societies like Bulgaria and Romania, were treated not only as political satellites of the USSR, but economic ones as well. This meant that when their agriculture was collectivised, newly nationalised uh, industries had five-year plans imposed on them. Um, there were, you know, if you imagine uh, countries like East Germany, which would uh, previously 
have been simply just Germany or the, the Third Reich. Um, the five-year plans were really quite alien things, and particularly in Czechoslovakia, which was perhaps the most advanced, um, uh, modern and industrialised economy in Eastern to Central Europe uh, after Germany, and had been a, a thriving hub of industry and manufacturing before the Second World War. The creation of a centralised, um, directive-led, bureaucratic system to um, industrialise the country or to uh, create a forced pace of industrialisation seemed to be completely uh, ill at odds with what Czechoslovakia needed. But then if you consider that very little of this was about Czechoslovakia's needs and more about creating economic satellites that could be plundered by the Soviet Union, it all starts to make a lot more sense. The um, five-year plans were designed to address shortages in the USSR, um, and the, uh, they created um, a flow of cheap exports and raw materials uh, so that the Soviet Union could rebuild its economy. Comicon um, was the Council for Mutual Economic Assistance, and it was uh, introduced in 1949 to try to insulate the Soviet Union's new empire from economic ties with the West in the immediate aftermath of the war. We obviously have um, the Marshall Plan uh, being um, touted by the USA, something that stands highly suspicious of, uh, perhaps uh, with some good reason, um, and the and Stalin viewed it as uh, an attempt to subvert um, Soviet communism, which uh, undoubtedly was. The reality was that Eastern European countries, traditionally trading partners with Germany and France, were locked into economic relations solely with the communist world and primarily with the USSR countries, again, a country that is really quite alien to them. Czechoslovakia had very deep ties with uh, France before the Second World War, and Germany was the traditional hegemon in Eastern Europe um, that was able to uh, refer to Eastern Europe, Eastern Central Europe as Middle Europa, um, Germany's, Germany's sphere of influence. Throughout the 50s and 60s, the Soviet system within Eastern Europe faced repeated challenges not only for just from uprisings, such as East Germany, Budapest and Prague, but from other dissenting state members. So the idea that the Warsaw Pact was a cohesive and happy family uh, is quite misleading, far from it. Albania um, left the Warsaw Pact in 1964, angry at Soviet attempts to become reconciled with Yugoslavia. Albania and Yugoslavia are traditionally bitter rivals, and when Khrushchev decided that it was time to bury the hatchet with Yugoslavia and bring Yugoslavia in from the cold, Albania, under the dictator Enver Hocha, um, in... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Typically, eccentric style decides to actually exempt itself from the Warsaw Pact. Noticeably, when there's talk about Hungary leaving the Warsaw Pact, um, Khrushchev sends in the tanks to uh, crush it um, because the, the possibility that it might become a non-aligned country or even, God forbid, join NATO is unconscionable. Um, obviously, the importance to uh, the Soviet Union of Albania is considerably diminished. And Albania is able to leave the Warsaw Pact without any, any comeuppance. Albania then became communist China's client state within Eastern Europe. And, communi- and China uh, during, had previously been wooing um, Alba- Albania away um, during the Great Leap Forward uh, from 1958 to 62, um, where... Uh, Soviet, the uh, Maoist famine that killed upwards of 40 million people. Um, during that period of time, the uh, Chinese were actually sending food shipments to Albania. Uh, strange but true. The um, Romania as well um, followed suit in the early 60s, exploiting animosity between the USSR and China to break the hold of Moscow over the country. By the mid-60s, Romania was actively trading with the West and there was little that Stalin's system could do about it. Um, there was a famous story of how Nikolai Ceausescu wanted to buy jumbo jets from Britain and decided to purchase them with Romanian strawberries, large quantities thereof. Um, so Romania is this really quite... Um, uh, sort of uh, unconventional and uh, anomalous uh, entity within the Warsaw Pact, one that um, the Europe and America saw as being quite a useful potential client state. And the ties between the West and um, Romania really went quite deep. You can actually find uh, my previous podcast on Romania, on the Holocaust and the Cold War, um, if you uh, if you if you go back. Um, but there was it shows you that Moscow's control over her satellite states 
really was as the 60s wore into the 70s quite diminished. Um, in Eastern Europe, the legacy of Stalinism presented each regime with the challenge of preventing widespread rejection of communist ideology. However, at the same time, governments from Poland to Romania had to present coherent explanations as to why the ideology had become so repressive and corrupted under Stalin. Essentially, uh, Eastern European leaders had to do their own versions of the secret speech. Across the eastern part of the continent, um, revisionism became prominent in the mid-1960s as a new doctrine, and Warsaw Pact members sought to salvage communism by adapting it. This is something that's played out in the Soviet Union all the way through to Gorbachev, um, so we perhaps, you know, can communism be reformed, can it be tamed, can it be uh, made to have a, a human face? Um, the question is, if you try to do that, does it then become something else? Does it then become uh, in sort of West German-style social democracy? Um, and does that result in parliamentary elections and the eventual uh, ousting of communist parties as will inevitably happen? And the answer eventually that Gorbachev comes out with in the 1980s is um, if you try to reform communism, you will inevitably destroy it. It's not one of those particularly reformable ideas. In Poland, under Ladislaw Gomolka, and Hungary, under Janusz Kedar, economic policy became an arena in which intellectuals were able to express dissenting ideas. So economists and political theorists were actually able to uh, appear in public in public debate and actually suggest that Soviet communism wasn't functioning all that well. The question of how society should be economically ordered was so central to Stalin's thinking and so flexible while the Soviet dictator lived that it only became permissible for limited dissent to be expressed following Stalin's death. And once you start to challenge the basic economic precepts of Soviet communism, you really are turning um, as all sort of givens about um, the ordering of society and about class relations on their heads. By the mid-60s, economic policy was one area which the governments of Eastern Europe were able to exercise some degree of, of autonomy over. Under Stalin, ineffective and backward command economies had been imposed on far more industrially and technologically advanced countries, such as Czechoslovakia and East Germany. The purpose was to set targets and quotas for foodstuffs and raw materials to be shipped back to the USSR, as we've already discussed. However, the economic rebirth of, the, of Western Europe developed throughout the 60s, um, increased the number of younger Czechs, Hungarians, East Germans, Romanians and others that looked to the Western living standards and hoped for improvements in their own conditions. The, um, there were various experiments in attempting to cater for consumer demand, um, which had obviously been long tolerated in the Soviet regime. Um, however, when the USSR invaded Czechoslovakia in '68. Following the Prague Spring, it was not only it was not demands for a more diverse economic policy, or for greater civil liberties that prompted the invasion, but fears that Czechoslovakia would leave the Warsaw Pact. 
it was a, an attempt to create consumer societies without market economies that presented a greater challenge to communism in Eastern Europe. The most significant factor in the eventual decline and fall of the Iron Curtain and the, and the end of the Cold War was the accumulation of debt. Debt doesn't get very, rare, very often um, discussed and explored. But we're going to do that now. Poland is a good example. In 1970, the Polish leader, Gomułka, was forced to step down following the bloody suppression of rioting over falling living standards. He was replaced by Edward Gierek, um, who realised that living standards and consumerism were key concerns of the Polish people. Because Stalinism was no longer the, um, the, the device with which to hold societies together, new strategies had to be employed, and um, the ability to cater to uh, the demands of ordinary people who demanded um, the kind of the rising living standards that they were seeing and, and experiencing all around the world. Um, this was um, much easier uh, than state repression. Girek visited America in 1974 and was welcomed by President Gerald Ford. Top on the list of priorities was to purchase US manufacturing technology to build a new consumer economy. But it could only be paid for through borrowing. Girek hoped that agricultural and raw material exports would eventually pay for the new infrastructure. The gamble that he embarked on appeared to initially to work. Foreign investment led to rapid growth in the first half of the 70s, uh, with growth rates of 10% per annum on average. In 1975, while inflation and the economic crisis gripped Great Britain, an opinion poll showed that three-quarters of the population believed their living standards had improved significantly. However, the economic reforms existed within a dictatorial and authoritarian command economy where corruption and nepotism were frequent and the mar and market mechanisms were largely non-existent. This leads, led to an eventual slowdown of the rapid boom by 1979, uh, a year where Poland's national income began to decline and the real price of the boom had to be paid. Poland owed $18 billion to Western banks and much of Poland's industries now had um, to export scarce consumer goods and commodities overseas in order to pay back the debt, leading to shortages and price rises. In July 1980, the price of meat rose by 90%, and it's in this context that the strikes that developed into the solidarity movement of the 1980s make sense. Solidarity doesn't spring from nowhere. It comes really from the economic crises of a state that has but its reputation on um, looking after the workers and now fails miserably. So in Romania, a similar process took place. Ceausescu, Nicolae Ceausescu, the dictator of the Socialist Republic of Romania, appeared to preside throughout the 70s over a booming economy. He was celebrated by Western leaders as a communist figure who was not beholden to Moscow and who was a reliable trading partner behind the Iron Curtain. But... The economic expansion that Romania enjoyed throughout the period was not based on the improvement of living standards, but on the development of large-scale, a large state-owned industry, uh, which was normally heavy industry, and petrochemical factories. Um, Romania has oil.
These vast enterprises frequently overproduced commodities that were um, then unsellable domestically or internationally. The favourable view that Europeans and US leaders had of Ceausescu made banks more willing to lend money to the regime in order to improve its industrial technology. But a decade um, later, the national debts had increased by tenfold, peaking at um, 13 billion in 1982. The debts resulted in a collapse in living standards throughout the 1980s. Some economists argue that living standards almost halved. So this pattern was repeated across Eastern Europe um, as it became a region that was no longer immune to the forces of economic globalisation that were sweeping the globe by the 1980s. The one power that might have prevented the economic penetration of the Soviet bloc during the 70s and 80s was the USSR itself, but Soviet leaders after Khrushchev were unlikely to do so. Not only had they abandoned any pretense that the USSR and its satellites were marching towards communist utopias, they also dabbled in limited economic reforms um, themselves when Alexei Kosygin was given control of the Soviet economy from 1965 onwards. And I'm sure I've done one on Kosygin previously. Google it, but I'm sure you'll find it. Just like the Soviet bloc countries themselves, economic reform was attempted without any effort to change the institutions um, or the constitutions of either the Soviet Union um, or any of its satellite states. At no time did any Soviet or Allied leader consider uh, um, ref uh, that uh, reforms that might diminish the hope of the Communist Party itself on power. It's perhaps this, more than anything else, that made the collapse of the Soviet bloc inevitable, uh, with the violent repression of dissidents um, seen in the Hungarian uprising of '56 and the Prague Spring of '68. The USSR had lost ideological legitimacy, it claimed um, from its victory over Nazism. Its subsequent failure to provide economic stability made its collapse simply a matter of time. So um, the one thing that it was capable, supposedly capable of providing by the mid-1960s, um, economic well-being, it couldn't even manage that. And so nobody looked upon it as, uh, you know, a, a fair and noble, if slightly um, backward ideology. It lacks it lacks moral and eco economic legitimacy. Okay, well that's gone for a bit longer than I thought, so I'm going to pause there. But do remember to get over to our um, iTunes page and give the Explaining History podcast a great review. Um, it'd be really great if you can do that. Anyway, look forward to catching you on the next Explaining History podcast. I'll speak to you soon. Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... 
HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 